This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 12 of Retired Racehorse Radio on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products, Riding Warehouse, Cashel Products, and Smooth Stride Jeans. Retired Racehorse Radio is your guide to the adoption, care, and training of the retired racehorse, brought to you in cooperation with Thoroughbred Makeover and New Vocations. On today's show, we bring you the man, the myth, the legend, Lafitte Pinkai Jr., one of the most successful jockeys in racing history history and then saddle fitter extraordinaire amanda anderson jackson from saddlefitter.us comes on to give you tips on fitting your tricky thoroughbred and of course we have our new vocations winner circle adoptable horse of the week so stay tuned you don't want to miss it And they're off on Retired Racehorse Radio, the podcast that is your guide to the adoption, care, and training of the retired racehorse. This is Jamie Jennings in Norman, Oklahoma. And this is Joy Hills from Kalamazoo, Michigan. And you're listening to Retired Racehorse Radio. Hey, Jamie, how is RRP training going? We're almost to the makeover, a couple more months. Oh, my God. You stress me out when you say that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I, we have until July 30th to finally put the entry in for our official horse. I think you can change it up until July 30th, but Baby Groot has officially been signed up. For the makeover, of course, his jockey club name, which is the one you use in the makeover, is Lost My Way. Lost My Way. Hopefully, we won't lose our way on the <laughs> way to Kentucky because he is do- he's doing really good. And he's, you know, he's trying hard. Bless his little heart. He still obviously is a far cry from ready. But I also, at the same on the same day as I entered him into the makeover, we also entered our first horse trial. I don't know. I I haven't entered him into any like subdivision at the makeover. So we're going to see kind of as we get closer and as close as I can get to deciding what I'm going to compete in. Um, but for the most part, I just was like, you know, you need to go and be at a show, but like spend the weekend, you know, and and get yeah. to you get to know the environment, be walked around in a place where there's a million horses get hosed off. I just it's a, you know it's a different world. It's a um, much more exciting field trip Friday. Yes, it's a field trip <laughs> Friday that lasts all weekend. And what's funny is that the horse trial is actually two point two miles away. Oh, perfect. <laughs> so is like, it going to be like strictly show jumping, or is this? full eventing like he's going to do cross country and oh stuff. it's a full event it's a full Whoa, event and what's amazing is yeah i haven't done any schooling shows whatsoever so we're, we're <laughs> like if you're gonna do it do it uh why not so yeah we've got uh show jump, uh, dressage and then cross country and then show jumping and um we've never actually competed in any one of those so i'll keep y'all posted i've got some practicing to do for sure but might as well throw them in there. I mean, that's the sport that I've competed in forever. So I'm comfortable with it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've ridden crazier horses. So, you you know, just, he's just a baby. It gives you a chance to see, all right, if you're good at all three, maybe we can do eventing. If you're good at none of them, let's do freestyle. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. Freestyle. Like I'm good at nothing. So let me just enter an arena for like by (laughs) myself for five minutes on a a horse. That's going to probably act like he's, 
I'm flying a kite on the end of a string. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I know exactly. I've, I'm comfortable with that. And we'll just see kind of where it takes us. Now, granted, we entered, I didn't even know they had this division, Joy. Mm-hmm. It is. So there's beginner novice is typically where a horse trial starts. Well, then there's one under that that's two foot and it's like starter or something like that. Well, this is a level below starter. Aww. It's called intro. And I was like, uh, the lady, she was helping me decide what to do. The one who runs the horse trial. And she's like, I don't know. It's like telephone poles on the ground. And I'm like, perfect. Nope. That's the way to do it. I entered my horse and her first dressage show as intro walk trot. I'm like, your canter is a mystery to everyone. Let's just start here. Exactly. (laughs) She's like, and the test is just walk trot. I was like, even better because the canter is where he gets a little. Very low pressure. You're just focusing on the experience. I love it. It's going to be exciting. It should be fun. So exactly. I I didn't want to, and there's another one a month later before the, before the actual makeover. So at least if I want to do a bigger competition, I can take him in something like Mm. that. But I just want him to go somewhere and, and see the sights, you know, and smell the smells, hear the sounds and things like that. So my husband is like, sweet, we don't have to pay for stabling, you know, it's expensive. And I'm like, oh no, no, (laughs) we have to stable him. He's like, it's two miles away. <laughs> you don't have to stable him. They two never miles get away. it. They never, never get, get it. it. <laughs> exactly. But uh, yeah, it should be fun. It should be exciting. And I'm, I'm looking forward to it. But dude, let's talk about the ridiculously awesome show we have today. I got to yes. do one of the coolest things ever. And I'm going to tell you all about it. As soon as we hear from our title sponsor that we're so proud to have, Kentucky Performance Products. Her life was falling apart around her, but when she saw his sweet face and heard the low knicker, the pain eased. She stood in the stall for some time, running a brush over his sleek coat, down his powerful muscles and over his tight, cool tendons. He cocked his back leg, waiting patiently. She scratched his favorite spot and was rewarded with a crinkled smile and outstretched neck. The stress flowed from her body, and she knew with him in her life, she would make it through. This love story is brought to you by Endure Extra, providing high-fat calories, direct-fed microbials, and natural vitamin E to support optimal condition and performance. The horse that matters to you matters to Kentucky Performance Products. Call 859-873-2974 or visit kppusa.com to order today. Well, Joy, I had a complete honor to sit down with Lafitte Pinkeye Jr. and Monty Roberts at his home in Solvang, California. And Lafitte and Monty work together on a jockey school down in Panama. So that's why they are friends and they've been friends for years. And Lafitte has ridden Monty's horses in the past. And and just to give you a little background, like Lafitte learned to ride by watching his dad, who was a jockey in Panama and Venezuela. And he started riding in Panama in 1966. This is a guy who went from riding in Panama in 1966 to career earnings. Are you sitting down of $230 million? 
that's how much per that's how many purses he won and earnings. It's an insane number. He also, when he retired, he was horse racing's winningest jockey with 9,530 career victories. He is the all time great. So please everybody welcome Monty Roberts along with Lafitte Pinkai Jr. Well, I am uh, honored and privileged to be sitting with two of my heroes right now, Monty Roberts and Lafitte Pinkai Jr., who is one of, if not the greatest jockey of all time. And Lafitte, this is a, a show that we do called Retired Racehorse Radio. And we we celebrate and talk about the thoroughbred breed. And, and I, I've already introduced you, but, you know, you started riding in in your native country of Panama in 1966. You know, a lot of us see what happens in the tracks here in America. What is racing in Panama like? If you can remember back that far. Well, in, in the racing in Panama when I was there, actually I started in 1964. Oh. And it was a good racing. Of course, we didn't have the quality of horses that we had over here. But the track was good. Jockeys that I rode over there at the time, they were pretty good jockeys. Now, rumor has it that your mama was not very excited about you becoming a jockey like your daddy was. No, no. Well, my dad, I didn't grow up with my dad. He was in another country. But my mom, maybe because the experience that she had with him in accidents and things like that, she didn't want me to be a jockey. So I had to really fight her to or convince her to finally to let me go to the track. And, and so day one, she just did she just drop you off there? Because you weren't old enough to drive, probably. No, I was only 15, but I found a way to, to transport myself to the track. She would give me 50 cents to, for the bus. But at some time, I would get a ride. I would go to a place where the workers, they had a, a, a lift to go to the track. And I will take, I will go with them. They will let me drive with them. So it was a little bus, especially for them. So they will, they will have me sit there. So that way I would save myself maybe a nickel or, <laughs> or, or, or two nickels. And at least I had to, I had money to, to buy me some cookies or something, mm-hmm. something to eat at the truck, you know? I, there were dif- difficult times. But finally, you know, I start going and start learning. Somebody start giving giving me horses to go to the track and learn. It took me about actually it took me about six months to learn how to learn how to ride a horse. How long had you been riding before you rode your first winner? I was at the track for for two years, but when I started to take horses to the track. It took me about six months for me to learn how to gallop. And and then at the end, they start giving you horses with saddle. And then you start learning how to ride the horses with saddle and then breeze the, them, you know, going fast. And then at the end, it start breaking from the gate. And uh, you have a, a T-shirt there that tell you what you're doing wrong, what you're doing right, whatever. And then he is the last one to sign your license for you to start writing. Wow. Yeah. And how old were you when you got that final piece was, of paper? I, I, was, I was 17. 
Wow. When he finally, I was driving me crazy because I was taking this horse to the gates almost every day. And then finally he said, I'm going to give you your license or you're going to kill this horse. <laughs> <laughs> now, so. when you were in Panama, you talked about potentially having a career in baseball and they told you <clears throat> you were too small for baseball. And then you go to be a jockey and they say, you're too big. You're too big. You're going to be too big. And another trainer told me, I say, if you if you start riding, if you get your license, you probably ride maybe three or four years, and that's going to be it for you because you're going to be too big. And that became a, 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 like a challenge for me because I said, no, I'm going to ride. I don't care what anybody say. I'm going to ride. And I was only 15 years old, and I started to die dieting right away. I started watching what I ate. I was eating very, very little. And I think it was good because I think I got my body used to not to eat that much food, you know. Mm -hmm. But through the years that I did so many diets and I tried so many things, and you know, at the end I learned how to eat, you know, which is I eat very healthy and I still do. So what was the difference? Was there a point in your life where you were like, I've got to be healthier? Yes. Yes, because I wasn't doing any any good. It wasn't that I wasn't that I wasn't healthy. It was that I was very weak, and you know I was older. And when you you can do, you can do as I was about from fifty or around fifty when I started eating better. You cannot you cannot do at fifty what you could do when you were young. Even in, in, when I was truth? young, and if, even if you don't eat well you can still perform and perform kind of well. But when you get older, it's just very hard. Unless you're Monty Roberts over here, who's just still getting it done yeah. in his 80s. <laughs> yeah. Sitting here with Lafitte, I mean, we've been friends now more than 50 years, and uh, it doesn't surprise me that he undersells himself. <laughs> you know, I came here and I found good riders and I realized that I couldn't ride so well. Come on. I mean, he came here and he started winning races right away. And the instant that I saw him, uh, he was already on his way to being a champion rider. No question about it. And it's a good school down there. They do a good job teaching the kids. Those kids don't have much of a chance because they don't have a very good education. So they sign any contract that they tell them to sign and they want to go and they want to do well. And suddenly, I think in Lafitte's case, he was paying about 70 or 80% of what he got to somebody else for some contract or other. And a man named Mr. Hooper helped yeah, him. Yeah, Mr. Hooper, yeah. He, he yeah. helped him by getting some attorneys and they got those contracts set aside. And uh, Lafitte and I have been talking about helping those kids that are coming out of that school now to to be treated fairly and to do a good job. Because like Lafitte says, the, you can go down there and find superstar riders. You can't believe how much better the whole group is than any other group in the world. Yes. Because the American kids don't want to work that much and they're too big anyway. And uh, the European kids the same way, and you can't find it in Canada. You in Panama is a special place, um, and the native people there are not 
big people. I mean, Lafitte is a normal-sized person down there, and that's why he... You're a to, giant Lafitte. <laughs> he had to work on his, on his diet and stuff, which is, which is really good. But these kids, they mean well. They're, they're gentle kids. They shake your hand. They look you in the eye. They're honest kids, most of them, you know. And um, we, we want to help them. I want to help them. And I, I have a guy that I hope will help them to uh, learn English mm-hmm. because they need to do that because English is global now. And they need to learn English, and they need to learn uh, that they can get a good representative to get the right contracts, and they should be earning at least 70% of what they get, with 30% going to the proper kinds of agents and stuff that help them. Mm-hmm. But when you're getting 30% and everybody else is getting 70%, that's a bad deal for them. And so, yeah, here I go again trying to help the next generation Mm -hmm. uh, see the good things in the horse industry and not the bad things. Well, I would say that even 30% of $230 million in winnings would be a nice number. But but wait a minute, the jockey didn't get $230 No, 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 that's what I'm saying. You get at least, you know, you get a percentage of that. And so, again, career earnings of over $230 million uh, is what Lafitte was able to achieve. And I'm looking at your beautiful Breeders' Cup World Series type ring that you have on and it's just incredibly impressive. Now what I wanted to do was to mention some horses names to you and get your first response and uh, the first horse that I'll use belongs to a Mr. Monty Roberts and his name was Enact. Well, Enact was a a somebody of pretense a really a top horse that I used to see I used to see Ron Shoemaker used to ride him, so Anak was by him. Uh, I can't remember how many times I rode him, but uh, I ended up winning the San Anita uh, San Anita Derby with him, mm-hmm. and uh, he didn't run in the Kentucky Derby. I don't know why. That Monty Roberts, uh, he's you know he wouldn't let you do it. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> no it no, was no, his no. throat. He yeah. So, yeah, but I, I got to ride him in another race, and he finished second. And then I got taken off of him because the <laughs> guy that he was the agent for the syndicate, he told me that uh, they vote for change riders. And I don't know why, because the horse ran good, and uh, I just didn't think he had any excuse. He just finished second. He just got beat in that race. So they took me off and put somebody else on him. Uh, it was in Hollywood Park. It was a mile race. And I told, told my agent, get me get me any other horse in the race because I'm going <laughs> to beat that horse. <laughs> so he put me on a horse that came from up north. And I figured the horse had speed. But when, when the shark came up, I saw he had no speed. He came from way, Aww. way back, you know, and he had no chance. <laughs> well, you know what happened, nah, right? No. I ended up beating him up by a nose. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that funny? Yeah. And so uh, he, he beat my horse that I put him on, and this agent took him off. And, uh, oh, I was so angry because I idolized this man, and I wanted him on the horse. The horse went wrong after that race of his throat. 
and that's why he didn't go to the Derby. But he would have been one of the favorites in the Derby, I suppose, if he'd have stayed sound mm -hmm. of his throat. And then he he went to stud uh, in New York, and he's one of the first New York breeders uh, in the stallion ranks. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that was in 1976. And uh, 1976 is like 40-some years ago. Yeah. Well, We were already friends with, with three champions that yeah. he rode for me before wow. that. Now, speaking of the 70s, let's talk of a horse that you rode, uh, y'all might have heard of, named Affirmed. Yes. Well, definitely Affirmed was the best horse I ever rode. Really? Yes. It was a, just uh, a really, really a pleasure horse to ride. You know, I could do anything that I wanted with him. Either go to the lead and or taking him back, uh, and he always smart, very very smart. And every time in a race, in any other race, he always broke in front. And from then on, you decide what to do. I'm going to the lead, or I take him back. And uh, he just, I, I the only time that I got beat with him was because I got disqualified. Um, yeah. But other than that, he won every every time. But everybody said Alidar. Yeah. Alidar. Yeah, Alidar. Alidar. Yeah. He has yeah. to be the best. Yeah. Boom. Boom. But, boom. Yeah. He, yeah, he I, beat Alidar. Yes. All right. How about a horse named Swale? Swale, Swale gave me my first Kentucky Derby and my only one. And uh, I finished second so many times the Kentucky Derby before him that I... I thought that I never get to ride a Kentucky Derby winner. And finally, um, I was very lucky to get on him because uh, the jockey had two mounts. The other horse was Devil's Back, which he was at the time was supposed to be a freak. And uh, he, he, had, he had a choice, either Swell or Devil's Back, and he went for Devil's Back. So Swell came up open. <laughs> he came up open, and the trainer called my agent say if I wanted to ride him in the Florida Derby. And then I ended up going to the Florida Derby and riding and win. So uh, at the time, he's, of course, uh, had a chance to win the Kentucky Derby. So he rowing uh, uh, on a prep race for the Kentucky Derby. And that was in Kingland. And he got beat. I think he finished second, but the, the winner won by many lengths. For some reason that I still don't know why he didn't run a, that good of a race. So my agent wanted to move to another horse. He had a horse in California that I've been riding, a good horse too. And he wanted to change mount. He wanted, he wanted to ride the other horse. And he asked me that I, if it was okay, thank God he asked me because <laughs> I wouldn't know, you know. And I said, no, let's stay on swell. And Swell gave me my first and only Kentucky Derby winner, which I'm so glad, you know, that I made the right decision. Why is the Kentucky Derby the race for jockeys to win? Well, I think the Kentucky Derby is a race that you you hear about it since you're a little kid. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I didn't even think I was going to be a jockey or anything, I, I remember uh, seeing posters of horses uh, that were going to run the Kentucky Derby. I remember seeing a, post, a poster of Lucky Devonair, horses like that with Shoemaker that won the Kentucky Derby or they were going to run the Kentucky Derby. And it's a big deal about it, you know, when they run that race, it's all over the world. So, uh, of course, when you become a jockey, 
that's what the race that you want to win. Right. You know what I mean? I, I didn't even think I was going to come to this country. You know, I was just, my dream was just make enough money to help my family, to help my mother. That she was working so hard. And I, I happened to start winning races and being the leading rider in Panama and get lucky to get a contract to come to this country and ride here. Couple more. Let's go to the horse, John Henry. John Henry was a, a really a good horse to ride to. Uh, he could run on the dirt, he could run on the grass, and I um, I won a lot of good races with him. And he won the San Anita Handicap, one of the best races in, in, in California. And he won a lot of tour races with him, big races. He ran in the British Cup, he finished third, but he, the track came up muddy. And it wasn't that he couldn't handle it. It's just that he, he stepped in too many holes, you know, and he couldn't, he couldn't really reach out. He would reach out for a little bit and then he, he stumbled again, you know, and, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe he didn't like it, you know, but he still run a good race. He finished third. Mm-hmm. How about the horse named Sham? Sham, Sham was an unbelievable horse. Sham was probably, probably, Better horse than a firm. The problem is I could not say that because Cham only ran the triple crown mm. and he won the Sanita Derby. A firm ran on everything. Mm. He ran on everything, carried a lot of weight, equal the track record. The uh, track record at Hollywood Park was one fifth of the world record at Hollywood Park, going a mile and one quarter, 158 and two, something like that. And Cham only rode those horses, but the day that Sham finished second to Secretaria, I don't think there's been two horses in history to run that fast in the Kentucky Derby. And uh, they both broke the track record. And no other horse have done that. So he's, he was a very special horse. So did you see the Hollywood movie that they made about Sham and Secretariat? Yes. Definitely. What did you think? I thought it was a very good movie. There was something that they added that uh, they were not true, but I was okay with it. Okay. <laughs> it's Disney, you know, there's yeah. got to be. So I ta- I got to talk to Miss Chenery about that movie, and she said, you know, the things that they added is, I would never have pet that horse and kissed him on the nose. He'd have bit my face off. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, I got to ask, uh, what are some of your favorite tracks to ride at? Well, I love, I love, I, I tell you, I, I love the track at San, at San Ira, Hollywood Park. I, I love Belmont Park. I love Sarah. You know, I, I like them all, really. I really enjoy riding in all those tracks, you know. I love going to New York and compete with the best jockeys over there. Same thing in California. I quit going to New York because... I was having a lot of weight problem. The scale of weight was lower than here. Oh. And I, I was suffering a lot over there, you know, because the trainers over there wanted me to do 14 and, and 15 and I was doing 17 and it was, it was hard for me to get down to 14 and 15, you know? So I was running at 17 and, and I had to really kill myself to do the 17, mm-hmm. you know? Now, you said the best horse you ever rode was affirmed. Who was the most difficult horse you ever rode? 
Because I heard, I've heard stories about John Henry. Yeah, well, John Henry, he was a, a tough horse in the stall. Uh, he was, yeah, you can come near him. He was kind of goofy. But on the <laughs> track, he was, he, was a, he was a pet. You know, he was a really nice horse. He did everything right. He, going to the post parade and, and in the race. He was just really nice. Yeah. But I rode some crazy horses, you know. <laughs> I rode a lot of crazy horses. I, 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 I rode a lot of horses that bolted. They don't want to go between horses. They very Most of which he very, doesn't want to remember the name of. Right? Yeah. I know. I noticed yeah. he went, kind of went well, blank when yeah. I asked that. Well, most, of the, most of the horses, most of the gray horses or fillies that I rode, that's why they were great, because they were good. They were good. They were, they were some of them, they had a little thing, but... But they were good, you know. They, well, I didn't have that much, that much trouble with them. Now, uh, finally, um, I wanted to ask you about maximum security. I think you and I both put some money on him this year for the Kentucky Derby. Well, it, it was too bad he got, he got disqualified. But uh, in my opinion, I think these two are did the right thing because uh, he came way out and. In my opinion, it wasn't it wasn't the jockey's fault; it was the horse's fault, because he must have saw some, something at the track, or he maybe the noise from the grindstone he made him go out. But I I uh, was happy after the race because I bet on him, <laughs> and the jockey was from my school in Panama, so well it's not my school, but it's got my name. But uh, I was very happy after the race, you know, that he won and everything, and I made some money. But uh, the I think the steward did the right thing, you know, things that happen in, in race in racing sometime and it was very unfortunately that that happened to that kid and the horse and the owner and everybody, you know, but uh, I think the steward did the right thing. Before I let you go, tell everybody the name of your book. If y'all like these stories, you will love this book. Well, I I I wrote a book called Anatomy of a Winner. I mean, actually, I didn't write it. I had somebody help me to do that. Mm -hmm. I just told my story, and she wrote it. And to know a very good book. And say a lot of things about me that I didn't think I was ever going to talk about it. Really? And it was, a, but I, th I thought it was a good, for me, it was a, like a therapy. Because I said things that I never thought that I would say. It, and I ended up opening myself for the book. Yeah. Was the man who listens to horses that same way? Did you no, feel therapy? It was really some cleansing going on there. And it wasn't for the Queen of England. Queen Elizabeth II was the one that took my manuscript back and said, you know, you're not telling the whole story because nobody could do what you've done without some inner change in your life. I want to know the whole story. We want the drama. And I sat right in this room and told my family that, do I tell, do I unload on my father? Do mm -hmm. I tell the story the way it really was? Mm -hmm. And they said, no. My family said, no, it'll cause you too much trouble. But I walked around this farm and I decided if I'm going to do this book, mm -hmm. I'm going to tell the truth. And I just let it run. Mm -hmm. I just opened up um, and, and, and made a, 500,000 word uh, manuscript, which was cut down to about uh, 100 and 
or 80,000 words or something like that, whatever they would accept. I don't know, but uh, it sold six and a half million copies. And I think it sold because I tried to be fair and honest yeah. and open up and really let them know who I was. But we're sitting here with an icon. Yes. And remember this number, 9,530 wins. Go find me somebody that's done that, and I'll show you an unbelievable human being. And he's still here, he's healthy, and I think he has a lot to offer the next generation. And it has just been an honor and a pleasure to sit here with both of you. Thank you so much for spending time with me. And Anatomy of a Winner, the man who listens to horses, you guys definitely go out and get those books if you haven't already. Well, historic amounts of rainfall in the U.S. have caused issues everywhere, especially when it comes to the number of pests. Man, the flies are just killing us right now. Protect your equine friends with Cashel Company's full line of chemical-free fly protection. The Cashel Company's for Crusader fly mask has a patented design for maximum comfort and protection from insects and blocks 70% of UV rays. Available in an array of styles and sizes, Cashel Company's Crusader line of fly protection is a chemical-free alternative to fly sprays that contain chemicals. They're expensive. They don't last that long. The Crusader line by Cashel Company can protect your horse from head to toe. Available in fly mask, fly sheets, and fly boots. I guess that'd be head to hoof thinking about it. Uh, the life of your horse's shoes will they'll live longer because they're not sliming them down on the ground. You'll also protect their soft tissue in their legs with the leg guards. The Cashel Company's Crusader leg guards. You should get them. The unique adjustable design helps reduce stomping caused by insects induced stress and fits any horse in the barn. So for more information on Cashel products, visit one of their nationwide authorized dealers or visit CashelCompany.com or stay connected by following them on Facebook and Instagram. Jamie, I'm so excited for our next guest. I have Amanda Anderson, who is a German and UK trained saddle fitter, an acupuncture physician, doctor of oriental medicine, equine massage therapist, and somehow has wow. the time to compete in USDF dressage and is a bronze medalist in it. So when she isn't helping finding clients their perfect saddle for their horse, she's being a mastermind understanding how a horse moves. I'm so excited to have her on. I think thoroughbreds are kind of a mystery. At least we see that on social media all the time for what saddles fit them. So it's great to have her on our show. Everyone, welcome Amanda Anderson. Hey, how are you guys? Great, great. So I'm so excited to have you on because I'm always worried that like my horse has changed a little bit and it's just a little nerve wracking because I want them to be as comfortable as possible. So I'm so glad you're on today, but tell us a little bit about how you got involved in saddle fitting. Oh, necessity. Um, back in the nineties, there was really no saddle fitters around. Um, I had to travel about four hours one way to see a person, um, spent a ton of money and just never really got the right fit. So my mom was like, you just need to go do it yourself. Um, we had a good connection in Germany and, um, I got to study with a master saddler for three years. Um, and it was just, it's a blessing. Oh, well, that's the fact you get to go to Germany for that. I'm like kind of jealous, but <laughs> yeah, so I think we all kind of learn awesome. and I can imagine, I think we all learn that, you know, the basics of saddle fit, you know, checking with your hand to see if it's pinching the shoulder. And we always have been told to see if it's lifted up and straight. What's the art form of saddle fitting? What is it exactly? 
So saddle fitting is getting the tree to fit the horse as best as possible. Um, and obviously you want to fit the rider as well and then marry the two together. I usually say that the horse gets the tree and the panels, which is what cushions the tree. It can be foam, tear, flocking, or air. And then the rider gets the top part of the saddle, the seat and the flaps, and then the blocks, obviously. And so sometimes when you have um, someone who has a very long leg or a very short leg, someone who's kind of not in the, the median sizes, um, you almost need to get a custom saddle to fit these, the people that have a really long femur or a really short femur or a horse with really high withers like our thoroughbreds mm-hmm. or a horse with really muttony withers like some of the draft horses. So that's just, I, I tell people buying a horse um, and looking at their back and what your budget is for a saddle should be a, a consideration. Um, if you Thoroughbreds are generally quite high withers. Um, They tend to be quite A-framed. They tend to have um, less surface area that we can put a saddle on, and therefore we need to have a a custom fit for these horses because we have so much exposed bone. The withers are actually part of the vertebrae. So this vertebrae is what houses the spinal column, which is the central nervous system of the horse, which is what we want to protect at all costs. If we want our horse to perform well and perform well into their senior years, so gotcha. we have to protect that. And for those of us who kind of shudder at the idea of the expense of a custom saddle right away, I think we all dream of having one. I know it's something on my wish list. What are some saddle brands that fit thoroughbreds well, or some, how can we adjust those in that meantime while we're saving up? So my favorite thing, uh, if, if I have to kind of make a saddle fit, and I don't like to throw out brand name favorites, but I have to say that the Mattis pad, which is, and I like the Platinum, which of course is the most expensive one. The Platinum Mattis pad with fleece is your number one, the number one tool I use to fit saddles, especially ones that I need to pad up or are not a perfect fit for a horse. That just seems to kind of cure a lot of ills. And the way that it's designed is different than most of the pads out there. When you have a horse with high withers, we have to avoid the withers. can't have the saddle touching the withers, and we can't have the saddle touching the sides of the withers. And so if your saddle is pinching the withers and you put a pad on that's uniform, meaning um, it's the same shape from left to right, front to back, that's not really a correction pad. Um, You're just adding more material to an area that's already pinching. And so the Mattis pad actually has a pretty significant gullet channel. It's about four fingers, three and a half inches wide. And that seems to give me quite a bit of room to get the saddle up off the withers. Um, So obviously we want saddles. We talk about trees. I've done a lot on my website, um, like the social media platforms, talking about head plate shapes. So there's three things in the front of the saddle that make the saddle fit well. Your head plate shape, which can be a hoop tree, a V, and a U. Your tree width, which everyone kind of knows narrow, medium, wide. And then your tree point length. And so all three of those go together. And it's really, it, it can be more expensive for the thoroughbreds. But in the end, if you get a saddle that actually fits them, it's going to save you a lot of money in vet bills, having to buy multiple saddles um, that really don't work. And then you have to go buy another one and sell that one. And it just kind of becomes you're just always chasing a fit. It's 
I hate to say it because horses are really expensive, but if you can spend the money up front and get a saddle that really works for the horse, just better all around. I totally really get that. In the long run. Absolutely. And yeah. the nice thing too is saddles are really an investment. If you take care of it, they last so long. So it is worth it in the end of the day. So I'm going to kind of throw a curveball question. How important is a girth to fit as well with a saddle? Well, it's very important. Um, (laughs) Because if you do do a long girth, and I'm actually getting ready to do a post about this. If you do a long girth, um, I like to use long girths when I have stability issues left to right, like side to side. I love using a long girth to um, solve that. What you want with the long girth is, if you imagine someone sitting in the saddle, usually we use long girths with like a jumping position where the stirrups are a bit shorter. So we want the buckles of the girth to go right behind the crook of the knee. And so what that does is it allows the rider not to feel the buckles, but it also puts the girth in the right position. We don't want it too short where you're just struggling to get it on the first hole. But if it's too long and the, and the buckles are way right where the sweat flap and the, and the top flap kind of come in, it can create danger when you're, you've got that flap lifted up, you've got your leg up, and you're struggling to get the, the girth tighter. That's not a good situation either. Hmm. For a short girth, it's very important, more for the horse, that we want those buckles above the elbow. And I like to have them above the elbow a couple inches, you know, at least two inches on each side. And I really like to make sure that on the short girth, that the, the material behind that buckle is pretty significant because sometimes you can get like some gel fabric that's really thin and then the horses feel the buckles. And depending on where that girth sits, it can be right at the edge of a muscle and it can create what's called adhesions, which would mean like if you ever get a knot in your neck, you know, you've got a sore neck and your massage therapist gets the knot out, that's an adhesion. And so we don't want adhesions in the area where horse needs his front legs to move where those muscles are. So that's how I like to size the short girth. I love that. So I've, that was a personal question for me really, because no one has ever explained how the girth should fit. You always get focused on the saddle, but no one's ever talked about where the girth should lay too. And that makes perfect sense because they have to have that clearance and comfort is key. Your horse is always going to perform best when they're as comfortable as possible. And kind of jumping back to the saddle, I saw a post on your Instagram about how not all brands have the same tree width. So one might say medium width. What are some things our listeners can do to know exactly the measurement they need to find for their horse? Well, that would be a trusted saddle center. It really is. You can really go down a rabbit hole and there's a ton of information. I went to school for three years and I continue to go back every year and every year I learn something new. I learn tons of new things every day. And so I would find a trusted saddle fitter. If What I would say is your best bet in finding a saddle, if you have a significant amount of money, I would try all brands or at least all the brands that interest you. Find a saddle fitter that you, that you know is well-educated and get a brand rep. The brand reps are trained in the particular brands. They have the most most current working knowledge of that brand, and they know how those brands fit. I know a lot of people don't necessarily like to use the brand reps. However, if someone, and I'll just make an analogy, 
Um, if someone is only trained in, say, an English brand like, I don't know, I don't want to really throw a brand out there and make someone angry, but say an English tree, which is a V shape and it's wood and it's a rigid tree, and they try to fit, say, a Steuben, which is a U shape, it's a flexible tree, they're not fit the same. So if you have a Steuben, I would have a Steuben fitter who's been trained by Steuben fit the saddle. Otherwise, if they're not trained, they might not size it the right way. I did a post about how the different head plates like V and hoop and U all make the tree points, which create the angle at which the metal bars, which are tree points, articulate with the horse's side. Just a different head plate will create a totally different angle. And so what I do when I sit saddles is I start with the head plate shape. If you have a high withered thoroughbred, in my personal experience, um, I like to put a U head plate on. What this does is it creates a lot of clearance for the withers and the sides of the withers, which there's a muscle called the trapezius, which we don't ever want to touch with the saddle. And so the U shape creates more room for both the sides of the withers and the tops of the withers. When I have a medium wide horse, some a horse that has like low withers and a pretty nice rib cage, not a super narrow rib cage, I like to put a V on there. Um, and when I have a horse that looks like totally mutton withered, 55 gallon drum, I will put a hoop on there. And that just makes the tree points articulate better. And then I don't have to fight with sizing. Then it gets really easy to get the right size. I tell people if you are trying every size in a particular brand and nothing is working, it's probably a head plate shape issue. And I did a bunch of illustrations. I know I'm talking and it, people are probably not able to imagine what I'm saying, but I did a whole line of illustrations that I will post um, the day that this airs. And that way people can go and have a look. I love it. And to me, this is absolutely fascinating. And I hope people follow you on Instagram because you do a great job of illustrating everything that you're saying. You use a lot of color coding and things that make sense to me anyway. So all of this is just completely fascinating. I've learned a lot. Amanda, how can people find you and others? Well, let me make this a two-part question. This is a better way. How can people find a reputable saddle fitter? Let's start there. So I would say it comes down to schooling. And I'm not trying to throw shade on people who are just, you know, just getting out of school. However, you need to talk to people. You need to talk to fitters about their schooling. How many brands have they trained with? Have they trained with English saddles? Have they trained with German saddles? Um, if you're a Western fitter, have they trained on Western saddles? Like I said earlier, an English saddle with a V-shaped tree uh, or a V-shaped head plate with a rigid tree can't be fit the same way as a German saddle that has a U-shaped head plate and a flexible tree. So you need to find somebody that is well-versed in all the different styles. Or if you say you have, you know, a Steuben, make sure you get a, a Steuben fitter or someone that's been trained by Steuben. And that way you're going to get the absolute best fit. Um, you also have to find someone that you trust. However, I will say that finding someone you trust doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to tell you exactly what you want to hear. I have a lot of people that, you know, just please tell me my saddle fits. And I, I look at them like, your saddle doesn't fit and you're going to hurt your horse is not what they want to hear. And I don't like walking out to an appointment and ruining somebody's day by saying, I'm really sorry, that saddle just doesn't work. 
it would be much better for my business if I just said, yep, that saddle's perfect. We can work with this. And I've done that. And it actually, when the saddle doesn't fit, it does more harm than good to the horse and eventually to the reputation of the fitter. So sometimes finding a fitter means that you just need to kind of accept the truth, but they should also be able to show you why the saddle doesn't fit. Where is it pinching? They should be able to articulate very clearly how and why they find fault with that saddle. And then what they can do or what tools they have to make it better or build you a saddle that would be completely different or at least fit the horse better. Very well said. So I, I know I'm going to have to look for a saddle fitter in my area very soon because I'm inspired to get a good saddle for my horse. Amanda, if people want to contact you or find you or hire you for saddle fitting, where can they find you? Uh, I can be found online. My website is www.saddlefitting.us. That's also my Instagram um, account is saddlefitting.us. Be found on Facebook at saddlefitting.us or my Steuben page, which is uh, facebook.com backslash Steuben NC. NC stands for North Carolina. Um, I work primarily in the state of North Carolina. I do kind of range into Southern Virginia. And I also have a network of fitters, colleagues, peers that I can uh, recommend to people. So if someone wants to email me with, um, you know, their location, I can make a good suggestion on people that I've worked with or I've trained with in the past um, that I find to be very trustworthy. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Amanda, and we will be checking you out and make sure to check on her Instagram because she's going to put all the imagery that we talked about today and much, much more there. Thanks again. Thank you. Well, it's that amazing time again that we have our equestrian must-haves sponsored by Riding Warehouse. Sonia, what do we have today? Yeah, thanks for having us on again. It's always a pleasure. So last episode, we touched on some of the Western tack we carry. So in theme of getting deeper into our Western offerings, today we're going to take a dive into our favorites from our Western in English show selection. So our Western show selection actually got a lot bigger this month with a ton of new arrivals. Our biggest and most popular brand for the Western show shirts is actually a brand called Royal Highness. We have a variety of styles, including button-up show shirts, zip-up show shirts, floral vests, with many options for prints and patterns. So these shirts are super flattering, but one thing to keep in mind is that they are definitely a fitted style. Personally, that's something that I like to have. I just think it looks a little bit more feminine, but I love that you have options for everybody. Yeah, I, I do too, personally. Uh, but yeah, super flattering. They're really, really beautiful. Uh, but we also got in some limited edition show shirt blouses from Hobby Horse. Oh, so these I are love more Hobby expensive. Horse. Yeah, same. <laughs> so these are more expensive, but the higher price tag is definitely justified by the durability and the quality of material. You, you can just really feel the difference. Plus, mm-hmm. if you're looking for a nice pair of show pants to use for those Western pleasure classes, we carry a super flattering pair by Hobby Horse. And personally, I'm a huge fan of the zip-up show shirts because they're a lot easier to work with and they look absolutely phenomenal in the show ring. Absolutely. Awesome. So we talked about Western. I'm an English girl. How are you going to dress me for success for the show ring? (laughs) I'm an English girl too. Don't worry. (laughs) And I would have to say that my favorite new show shirt is the Kingsland Denia half zip long sleeve. I love the long sleeves, especially in the summer because my mom's a dermatologist and I need that skin protection. It has a little bling and that zip closure and it's a super flattering fit. 
But overall, I can't say enough good things about the Kingsland brand. It's actually not super well known in the online retail segment because it's the kind of brand you see it, you know, those hunter jumper shows where they've got the mobile setups and you can shop there. That's where you'd see it, honestly. But it'd be my recommendation for sure for the show shirt. So on the English breeches side to finish up that outfit, I'd have to recommend the RJ Classics Prestige Golf Euro Seat Knee Pad. Household name brand. Good one. (laughs) Yep. Yep. So these actually aren't new and we do have a ton of breeches and it's easy to get lost in the selection, but these are just a really great, well-made, flattering, basic show breech. And I ride in the hunters and it's just really hard to find one of those. So I have hands down, absolutely love these. And some of the colors are in clearance for my fellow bargain hunters. So we got you covered. Awesome. That's amazing. Make sure to check out all riding warehouses, show apparel, as well as all their other products at www w.writingwarehouse.com. Thank you so much, Sonia, for coming on today. And I'm going to be looking at some of these clearance sections. Of course, it's always a pleasure. Well, we have a very special announcement from Sarah Coleman, who works at New Vocations. And we're so excited to welcome Sarah to share the big news. Welcome, Sarah. Sarah, you guys won something really amazing. Tell us about it. We did. We were very, very excited. Uh, The Right Horse Initiative, which is an animal-focused granting organization that's under the Arnold Foundation, just granted New Vocations $100,000 so that we could launch our Louisiana chapter, essentially. So um, the way New Vocations operates is we have multiple facilities throughout the United States. We have Ohio, Kentucky, New York, and Pennsylvania. And we have trainers in those locations who help us adopt out our horses. And uh, Rosina Pravnik, the champion jockey, uh, is very passionate about aftercare. And she basically came to us and said, I want to open a new locations chapter in Louisiana. Uh, in, in all honesty, Louisiana was not next on our hit list. We had expected to go elsewhere, but she came in. She's so wonderful. She's so passionate about aftercare. And she was like, I will help fundraise the money. I will help you. I already have the best trainer, you know, and rehab facilities in mind. So the Right Horse Initiative granted us $100,000 to open. So the Louisiana facility is focused solely on horses that come from the four tracks in Louisiana and the training centers in Louisiana to help those horses in that state specifically. So we're super excited. I mean, it's just so, it, it, it happened you know, it's one of those things where normally it takes us, you know, we do our research and we do this and we do that. And it feels like it takes forever. And this went so fast and it's been so successful. We've already had a couple adoptions out of Louisiana and we're Yay. so stoked that Rosie's on board. It's been very exciting. Glad we need like the applause sound bit. That's what we need right here. <laughs> Congratulations. I love it. Congratulations. Thank you. Oh man. If you guys want to check out new vocations, obviously go to horseadoption.com and check out all the amazing things that they got going on. And more importantly, apply to adopt a horse. Like I'm probably going to do right after this. (laughs) I'm going to tell you about them again, because they're just that important. And of course I'm talking about smooth stride jeans. Uh, Joy, I just wore them all weekend. I have three pairs because I really like the knee patch ones, but I had to get some full seat ones. And I wear those while I'm teaching clinics. I was just at Monty Roberts Farm in uh, California, and the weather, of course, is 
perfect year round, but it gets a little cold at night and a little warm during the day. And I, I was teaching a clinic and I just kept them on the whole entire time. They look professional and they're so comfortable from, I mean, day to night, evening wear is what I wore my smooth stride <laughs> jeans. And then I got out and worked with them all day long. So yeah. Is that day to night? Like the fancy fashion world. Yeah. So your smooth stride jeans day tonight, you can wear them at work or at play. And of course they are real riding jeans. They have no inseams. I don't know how they've built them to not have an inseam, but it's about time that a riding jean did not have an inseam and become uncomfortable. Uh, the owner of smooth stride jeans is an accomplished three day event rider, also an instructor and trainer. And, uh, she loves her jeans. She made them to make sure that we would like them as well. She's probably just as picky as, as we are. So if you want to get in touch with her, you can give her a call or message DJ at smoothstride.com and please check out the website smoothstride.com and they are great. They solve a problem and they're made in America. It's an awesome solution. So again, check them out. Smoothstride.com. And from the back of the pack on the outside, commanding curve is taken second, but California Chrome shines right in the Kentucky Derby. And now it's time for the new vocations, Winter Circle Adoptable Horse of the Week. Well, I hope you guys are ready to hide another horse from your husbands and your pastures because we are with New Vocations, Leandra, who's going to talk to us about our Winner's Circle Adoptable Horse of the Week. Leandra, who do we have this week? We have this week Nettie's Legacy, who we call Nettie at the Barn, who is a four-year-old mare standing at 15-2 hands. So she is just that right kind of compact size where you could still have a bigger rider. I'm 5'7", and I don't feel out of place on her. And you can also have your shorter riders feel quite at home with her. And I call her sort of the Goldilocks blend or that right in the middle perfect mix of a horse who has been on the track. She had 15 starts. Mm a respectable amount of stars, but she still retired without any injuries. Her donor even went so far as to say they never had to inject her for a thing. She just is a really tank of a, an athlete and she's got plenty of miles to go too. So it's sort of yeah. neat because we're just seeing her at the tip of the ice. And you would never guess it. She's a very feminine looking mare. Like she's not necessarily refined, but she's got that girly look to her. Like, she's very pretty. I'd love to take her in the dressage ring. She's just got this mm -hmm. kind eye. She's built nice and uphill. And she's that stunning bay where it's just very rich in color, like a good coffee. I love it. Yeah. Well, and what's interesting with her, too, is you don't get a lot of horses that could truly go in any direction and I really see that in her. So you could take her to go be a polo pony or a barrel prospect or take her into the hunter ring or take her into the dressage ring. And truly, I could see her fitting in in any number of different disciplines. There's really no telling what she could or couldn't do. And watching her video, too, on her page, you guys make it look so easy riding her. She's just so gentle and light on her feet. Nice, easy gaits. 
age. She's definitely the horse who's going to be adopted very quickly. (laughs) We hope so. Yeah, she is looking for her home and her next partner. And I think that she just has so much to offer that she's just waiting for her right person to come along. I love it. So if someone wants to look at Nettie's legacy, where can they find her? Her profile is posted on our website, newvocations.org. If you go to Available Horses, she's a thoroughbred at our Kentucky facility in Lexington. And she's available for adoption now. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Leandra, for coming on. Go and check out Nettie's Legacy as well as all their other thoroughbreds and standardbreds. You know your perfect horses. They're waiting for you. Thanks again. You can find our show notes and links to today's guest on the website at retiredracehorseradio.com. Like us on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for Retired Racehorse Radio. Follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. Jamie's email is jamie at horseradionetwork.com. And my email is joy at horseradionetwork.com or follow me on Instagram at joyhequestrian. Thank you so much to our amazing sponsors, Kentucky Performance Products, Riding Warehouse, Smooth Stride Jeans, and Cashel Products. And don't forget to check out all the other shows on Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Don't forget to love and learn from every ride. And spay, neuter, and geld. Bye.